2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Next week, we launch a new series where we're going to look at the life of Jesus uh, by going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, but for this morning and for some time in, in January, we've been, we've been taking some time to uh, just tackle a few different topics, to tackle some of our foundational beliefs and distinctives as a new church family. And so we talked about how we want to be a praying church, how we want to be a church that's, uh, that's known by, by the fact that we are transformed by Jesus. Last week we talked about um, how we make sense, uh, how we think biblically about the fact that God is good, yet there's evil and suffering in this world. Um, and this morning we're going to unpack um, really a very important and weighty text to me personally as your pastor and as a preacher here at King's Cross uh, this text that we're looking at this morning is about preaching. It's about preaching the Word of God. It's about preaching faithfully. And you're probably thinking, why are you talking to us about that? Like, that's your job, right? Like, why do you talk to us about preaching? And, and that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> even if you, like, never preach a, per a sermon in your life, my goal is that for you to walk away from, from this room with a clearer picture and this firmer grasp of what faithful preaching is. Because it's such a huge part of, of, of the weekly Christian gathering. This, this worship gathering that we do week in and week out on the Lord's Day on Sunday. Like, maybe you noticed about half of our typical worship gathering is taken up with the preaching of God's Word. There's a reason for that. Christians have been doing this uh, week after week for, for, for centuries now. And so you should ask, why is this so important? Why is this so prominent? Why is preaching so important? And even if you're new or you're a visitor or you're a skeptic of this whole Jesus and Christianity thing, like I want you to understand this morning why Bible preaching is integral to the life and the maturity of any healthy Christian church. So that when you're, when you're looking for a church, when you're trying to decide, like, where's a church that I want to, to join and to learn and grow in, uh, you want it to be a Bible-preaching church. And we're committed to that here at King's Cross. And if you're a follower of Jesus and King's Cross is already your church home, then for you, I want you to grow and mature in your ability to discern what faithful preaching looks like, what it sounds like, and what faithful preaching isn't. Like, that's important. I want each of you to grow in your knowledge of the Word and what faithful preaching is so that you can know, like biblically speaking, what faithful preaching look like, looks like so that if for some reason, if for some unknown reason I stop faithfully preaching the Word here, then you should leave this church. Honestly, if we stop preaching the Word here on Sunday's mornings, then you should leave this church or I should be replaced. 
I should lose my job. That's how important this is. And so let, let's dive into 2 Timothy chapter 4, the first few voices, I've got, uh, voices, verses. Uh, uh, and uh, we have three points we're going to walk through this morning. I'll give you, them to you up front. First, we're going to look at the gravity of faithful preaching. The weight, the gravity of faithful preaching. Secondly, we're going to look at the content of faithful preaching. And then we're going to land on the priority of faithful preaching. So let's look at that first one. The gravity of faithful preaching. I think you'll find it interesting as we dive into 2 Timothy today, we get this vivid look at Paul. He's the author of this letter. He's the author of 2 Timothy. Paul, he's, he's like, if you know his background, he's one of the most influential uh, uh, men in the Bible. Uh, he actually wrote the majority of the New Testament. Uh, but he's also one of the most influential men in the world throughout history. So much of civilization and culture and the way that we look at work, uh, especially in the West around, and around the world, has come out of Paul's teachings and writings as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And 2 Timothy, this book that we're unpacking, is actually written to, uh, to another follower of Jesus named Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy, a young man who's really sort of like Paul's spiritual son. Paul like invested so many years, year after year, just mentoring uh, this young man, Timothy, on how he could be a, a good pastor himself. And so Paul's poured years into Timothy, and this letter, 2 Timothy, is probably the last letter that he wrote, not just to Timothy, but in his entire life. It's probably the last letter he wrote before he got martyred for his faith. And Paul's sitting here in a Roman jail, which he was thrown in because of his faith in the risen Jesus. And when he writes it, when he writes 2 Timothy, um, and you got to keep in mind that jails back then, Roman jails back then, are a lot different than like jails here out in Orange County, <laughs> where you get like three full meals, you get to lift weights, you get all swole, and smoke cigarettes, right? Um, I asked my brother-in-law, who works in a, a local county jail, if I was like, do people like do people really smoke cigarettes in the jails, or is that just something we see in the movies? And he's like, well, he's like, they do, but like illegally, they're not supposed to. But apparently, you can still smoke cigarettes, and so they didn't have that luxury uh, back then. There was no way to do that because see, Roman prisons worked a lot different. What they do is they throw you into an enclosed space. They'd dig a hole in the ground. They'd make you sit in that hole. And many times you would just wait there in that hole until you would eventually die. And that's where Paul was when he writes this letter. That's the state that he's in when he's writing this letter to his spiritual son. He's in a hole. It's dark. It's wet. It's cold. It's smelly. And he's literally only days away from getting his head chopped off because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And he's sitting there in that hole, in that cell, and he somehow gets the opportunity to write a letter, his final recorded letter. And his final word to his spiritual son and his student Timothy is these words. And so if that's where you are at, I want you to put yourself in Paul's shoes. Like if that's where you are at, what is something that you would want to write about? 
Paul was Timothy's mentor. He taught him virtually everything that he knows. He was a spiritual father to him. Spent 15 years mentoring him, developing him into the man and leader that he's going to be. And, and Timothy, uh, he was like 33, 34 years old, which is how old I am today. I'm 34 years old. And like Paul's writing to this, to this young man, this young pastor. And imagine if you were in his shoes, like what is the one thing that you'd want to say? What are the kind of things that you'd want to include in that letter? And I want you to understand that this is the context so that you know sort of where Paul is coming from. So you know where his heart is coming from. So you can kind of get a sense of the posture of his heart as he's writing this. I mean, he's about to die. What's on his mind? What is the most important things that he wants to communicate to Timothy? And in that short letter is where we find these words from Paul. And so you get this sense that he really wants to impress upon Timothy how serious of a charge it is that he's about to give him. And notice how he does it. Read verse 1 with me. He says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, and then verse 2 he says, preach the word. And we'll stop right there. Read that again. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Like, I already gave you the backdrop, but now I want us to dig into the short phrases that sort of intensify Paul's command here. Let's go through them one by one and sort of, I want you to feel the weight, feel the gravity of these phrases. The first, he says, I charge you. I charge you. Now that word, that Greek word that's translated as charge could be translated, I solemnly charge you. Depending on your English translation that you brought this morning, uh, your Bible might say that. I solemnly charge you. So Paul is basically, he's getting somber here. He's getting solemn and sober here. Which you would think Timothy already felt, kind of given the background of Paul's situation, right? But Paul's talked in previous chapters in 2 Timothy, in this letter, he's previously talked about the importance of the word. He's talked about how he was suffering and he wasn't sure if he was going to make it. He warned about how false teachers are going to try and make their way into the church and cause harm, try and destroy the whole thing. And yet at this point, Paul says, now I'm really going to get solemn with you. Now I'm going to sober things up. Now I'm really going to get serious with you, Timothy. Look at the second phrase he says, in the presence of God. Paul tells Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God. And so he wants Timothy to understand that everything that he does, everything Timothy does as a pastor and preacher is before the face of God. And then he continues and he says, and of Christ Jesus. And so Paul's saying, God the Father and God the Son are watching over you, Timothy. And they care a lot about what I'm about to say. They care a lot about this charge I'm about to give you. He continues and he says, Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Now look, this is a big one. This is a big one right here where he says, look, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, the one who is to judge the living and the dead. What Paul's trying to get here is he's telling Timothy, look, Timothy, the stakes are high here. 
You don't mess around with this preaching thing. The stakes are high here. Paul's saying, God, the judge of the living and the dead. So he's invoking the fact that God is the final judge at the end of time. And so what that tells us is that the pastor is called to deal not just in matters of life and death, but in matters of eternal judgment before Jesus Christ. You see, if you were a surgeon and you knew that someone's life was on the line when you were about to operate on them, like that would give you a sobering, we could say solemn sense of reverence for the task in front of you, right? I mean, it'd be a fearful task. But man, if you have not just someone's life on the line, but if you have someone's eternity on the line, that's an even heavier weight. There's an even bigger gravity to that. It should produce an even more sobering reverence for the task at hand. In other words, Paul's reminding Timothy that pastors and preachers, they're going to one day have to stand before God and give an account on how faithful their preaching was, on how faithfully they followed this charge. James, who was the brother of Jesus, he wrote a verse on this point in in his epistle. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I mean, man, that's wild, right? That's a heavy verse right there. You see, a lot lot of young men would look at the, the life and the ministry of like a pastor or a preacher and you're like, man, that looks, that looks cool, right? Like I get to sit up and stand in front of people and, 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 and talk for a little while and everybody has to sit there and they have to listen to me. That sounds like a cool gig. I'd love to get paid to do that. But man, James says, look, not many of you should become teachers for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. I have to give an account before my God on the faithfulness of my preaching. It's not a thing to take lightly. And look, he's still not finished. And then he says, and by the appearing of his kingdom. And here he's reminding Timothy that of the one day that every preacher longs for. It's the last day when God's kingdom comes down and Jesus will make all things new. Where all evil, all sin, all death, all pain and suffering will be no more. We kind of unpacked that a bit last week, right? And some of us were just like tears thinking about the beauty of that day. When his kingdom will come, his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When that finally gets fulfilled on the last day at the appearing of his kingdom, Paul says to Timothy, man, we look forward to that day. We look forward and hope to that day. Everything that you do as a preacher, the, the weight of it, the gravity of it, the, the charge that I'm giving you to be faithful in your preaching, there's a weight to it that should sober you, but there's also a hopefulness that, man, when that day comes, there will be people added to God's family, citizens added to God's kingdom because of the preaching of the word as dead people come to spiritually dead people come to to walk in new life. And so in each of these phrases that Paul wrote, phrases that were inspired by the Spirit of God, but written by the hand of Paul, in each of these phrases, Paul's letting Timothy feel the gravitas of this charge. Do you feel it this morning? Do you feel the weightiness, the heaviness of it? How many of you guys are familiar with the Bible teacher, John MacArthur? 
Guaranteed, at least a couple of you guys probably have John MacArthur's study Bible sitting on your lap right now. Uh, John MacArthur, he's a well-known Bible teacher. Um, a well-known Bible teacher, and uh, someone just put their Bible up in the air in the back. <laughs> he's a well-known Bible teacher that was, uh, and, and a few years ago he was speaking um, at this conference in, in Louisville, Kentucky that, that I was at. Um, and at this conference he tells this story about how back when, when he was in seminary, Keep in mind, he's like one of the best-selling like Bible commentators uh, living in our day. And, and he's telling this story about how when he was in seminary, he got a chance to preach his first sermon at the school's chapel. And one of his mentors, one of his professors, this Dr. Feinberg, this man who had invested a lot into John MacArthur, happened to be there that morning when John was preaching his first sermon in the school's, in the seminary's chapel. And John MacArthur tells a story, and he talks about how much he just admired and looked up to this man, and how he just really wanted to make this mentor of his, like, proud that day. And after the sermon, MacArthur told a story about how he sat down next to Dr. Feinberg, and when he looked up at his mentor, he saw that, that his mentor's face was just sad. He was upset, and he was, like, getting all teary-eyed. And Dr. Feinberg said... He looked at John, and he said, John, you missed the whole point of that scripture. You missed the whole point of that scripture. And so understandably, like MacArthur was heartbroken, and he comes to this guy's, his mentor's office later that day, and Dr. Feinberg told him to sit down and looked him square in the eyes, and he said, John, don't you ever do that to the scriptures again. You don't just go up and preach something that the passage is not saying. Don't you ever get up and work your point into the text. You need to preach what God's word says. Can you imagine how he felt through that whole ordeal? And man, 40 years later, John MacArthur says he has not forgotten that conversation. Every time he's preparing a sermon, every time before he goes up to preach, he remembers that conversation. You got to imagine that Timothy felt the same weight, that same gravity of Paul's charge to him. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who judges the living and the dead, preach the word. So let's look now. What does it mean to preach the word? What does it mean to preach the word? Here's the content of faithful preaching. Why don't you read verse 2 with me? Paul says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So here Paul gives his protege his primary calling in ministry, to preach the word, to publicly proclaim the word of God. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word preach? What do you think of when you hear the word preach? Some of us, we think of like maybe a street preacher, right? Or a pulpit or a Bible. Maybe we think of like that one friend or that one uncle that just gets like all preachy with us when we're around them, right? Like we've, we've like preach gives us this sense that we're being like talked down at, right? For some of us. But that, that Greek word, that Greek word there, which is translated as preach, actually has a unique meaning to it. It has a fuller definition than the normal sort of didactic form of teaching that we tend to think of when we hear the word preach. It's a word that literally means to proclaim 
as a herald, to proclaim as a herald or a public crier. See, because Christianity is all about good news, and the way you spread good news back in those days was that you'd, you'd send a herald whose one job was to ride into town, into the public square where all the business was happening, where all the people were at, and their job would be to shout whatever newsworthy event had happened that day that they needed to know. They didn't have Google or Twitter or CNN back then. Like They had heralds. They had heralds. That's how you got the news. You see, this set Christianity apart from every other religion at the time. Because you didn't have news to proclaim for other religions. You had lessons that you would teach. Here's a lesson. I'm going to teach it to you, right? But Christianity was more than lessons. Christianity broke into history heralding the divinely authorized message of God to a sinful and broken and needy world. That the Messiah had come. That He had died for our sins. That He rose from the dead to save sinners like me and like you. And so they used the word preach to uniquely describe the Christian form of spreading their message. It was proclaiming news. Proclaiming God's Word the news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Just a few verses before, in in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God. You see, so that's what the Word is. When Paul tells Timothy, preach the Word, the way that we define the Word is it's the message that has been breathed out by God. It is the God-inspired Scriptures. You see, the early church, they viewed the Word as not merely one thing among many in the life of the church, but rather as the means by which the church exists. That's important to get. You see, the Word wasn't merely one thing among many other things in the life of the church. The Word was the means by which the church exists. In other words, the Word isn't just like just mere words. It's words that give life. It's words that birth a church and grow a church. It's words that when it's applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God, it makes us into new creations. When it's applied by the Spirit of God, it also makes new Christians and it builds up old ones. And in the same way that plants need water to sprout and grow, the church needs the Word to sprout and grow and mature. You see, ever since the early church, Christians have been gathering to hear the word preached, to sing the word, to celebrate the good news in the word through communion and through community. That's what the church has always done for thousands of years. So look, we don't gather here for you guys to hear my opinion. That's not why we're here. You're not gathered to hear my opinion or to hear my life stories or to hear even like testimonies, right? None of those are bad things, and sometimes we interject those into this, in the sermon. But primarily, we gather because of the Word. We gather to sing the Word, to celebrate the Word, and to receive the Word. And so the Word teaches us who God is. That's why it's so important. It's His revelation to us about who He is. 
And that's important, right? Because our propensity is to create our own God, to fashion a God from our own imagination, from our own image and likeness. There's a classic story that, um, that, or uh, that I guess sort of analogy that uh, some, some, some people, especially like in, in postmodern times, we're kind of moving into like post-postmodern times, but this popular argument against like Christianity and absolute truth like about 10, 15 years ago um, is people would tell this story about um, how if you had three blind men um, and you told them to walk up to an elephant and, you know, they were blind or they had blindfolds on and you told them to try and figure out what's in this room. Giant room with an elephant, right? And you'll have like one blind man who will, like if he feels the trunk, he might think, oh, this is a snake, right? Like that's his perspective on it. That's his, that this is a snake. And then another guy might come and he might, he might grab the, uh, uh, that might grab the leg of it, of the elephant and think like, oh, this is a tree. This is a tree. I'm pretty sure this is a tree. And yet the, the other third uh, blind man might come up to it and, and feel the side of the element and think, no, this is, this is like a boulder of some type, right? Like the side of a, of a mountain, a boulder maybe stick, sticking out. And so this argument would be like, look, these three guys have this perspective on the elephant, um, and they, but they're all wrong because they're all coming to it from their own specific angle, Right? Like they're coming to it from their own specific way and perspective of looking at it. And so the argument goes like that that's what different world religions are, right? They have their own perspective on it, but they're, they're all, they all have a part of the picture. They all have their interpretation of the picture, but overall they're wrong because it's actually an elephant. And this, uh, there's this theologian and missiologist named Leslie Newbigin who wrote a, a, a book, like I think it was about 10 years ago. And he pointed out that one day he was thinking about this argument and he had this epiphany. He's like, the only way that somebody could possibly make this argument is if they knew the truth, right? The only way that somebody could possibly make this argument is if they were kind of beyond the fourth wall, right? Looking in, and they were able to say, no, these guys are wrong because this is an elephant. The only way that you can make that critique is if you had the truth. And so... In order to, to argue that there is no absolute truth, the person making that argument had to claim that they had the key to absolute truth, right? The whole argument falls in on itself. I heard one guy, he, told, he was uh, telling a, a, this similar story. He was unpacking this analogy, and he said, you know, like, the thing about Christianity, though, is what if, what if the elephant spoke, <laughs> right? What if the elephant spoke and said, I'm an elephant, right? Here's who I am. I'm an elephant. I'm gray. No, that's my trunk. No, you're stepping on my toes, right? Uh, no, that's actually my side. That's not a, that's not a mountain. Um, like, thanks for the insult, though, right? Like, if the elephant could speak, then he'd be able to tell you, I'm an elephant. That's what the Word of God does. It's God's inspired, God's breathed out words where he teaches us who he is. He reveals his nature, his character, his work, his mission in the world. The word also teaches us who we are before him. 
It teaches us and reveals to us that we're creatures before our maker. We're sinners in need of grace. The word shows us how we're to live in God's world, to make much of him, to delight in him. It shows us that who God is, he's the worthy one. It shows us who we are, that we're messed up and unworthy and in need of grace. It shows us how to relate to God to repent, to believe, to join in his mission, to bring his truth, goodness, and beauty to the ends of the the earth, to glorify him. You see, this is why we need the word as our authority. You see, the world is vying for our attention. There's There's other sources of authority that are vying for our attention. Everyone else is trying to preach to us and evangelize to us. Magazines in the checkout line are trying to evangelize a worldview to us. They're saying, look, here's how to live. Here's what you should live for. Partisan politicians evangelize their take on the world to us. The flesh may be tempted to find other authorities like these, but we, we who follow Jesus, we find our authority from the one place that God gives it to us, from his word, the word of God. You see, you shouldn't come here for my opinions on life and religion. You shouldn't come here to hear cool stories or, or a bunch of great quotes. You should come here primarily with this question, what does God have to say to me today? What does God have to say to me today? You can kind of look at it as like, I'm, I'm just a mailman, right? And my job as a preacher is I'm like a mailman. My job is to deliver the mail, not to get in the way. And my goal isn't for you to walk away and be like, wow, he's a great communicator. He's a great preacher, right? Like my goal is for you to walk away and think, man, we have a great God. Which leads us to our third point, the priority of preaching. Read the next couple verses for me. Paul says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You see, Paul's saying that the time is coming when people, they'll turn away from sound teaching. And man, the great, this is a great picture that Paul uses here. He uses here. He talks about their itching ears. Itching ears. And so he's talking about anybody that has like uh, anyone with an, uh, like an appetite for novelty, an appetite for entertainment, right? That just can't be satisfied. This is like people who will go uh, reading from book to book, blog to blog, church to church, group to group, always looking for that one thing that will scratch their curiosity, and so the big question to, 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 to those people becomes, is this entertaining? Is this entertaining? Does this scratch my itch? Does this feed my appetite? Does this make me feel good? That's the picture that Paul draws for us back then, and it's the same picture that we see in the culture today. You see, we live in such times where the question people are asking isn't, is this true? But they're asking, how does this make me feel? 
How does this rub up against, how does this jive with my sensibilities, with my thinking of how the world should be? And because of that, in these times, Paul says, these people will accumulate for themselves, or literally, they'll stockpile for themselves books and podcasts and blogs and teachers that they simply, that they like because they scratch that itch. That's what they want to hear. It suits, as Paul says, their passions. It suits their passions. You see, these, uh, like if you look at, uh, at the different uh, podcasts, like the top Christian podcasts, like you'll notice that, that there's the top podcasts which are really popular uh, in the Christian category on iTunes. You might be thinking, to, uh, like tempted to think like, oh, like these must be solid Bible teachers, right? These must be solid Bible teachers because they have a lot of listeners. But popular doesn't always mean faithful. Popular does not always mean faithful. As a matter of fact, sometimes, not all the times, sometimes faithful teaching is the least popular teaching. And so you need to settle in your heart right now. You need to settle in your heart when you hear the word of God preached. Is the concern of your heart, how does this make me feel about myself? Or is the concern of your heart, is this true? Can, can you see from what I'm saying how the things that I'm preaching are coming from the verses on the screen or in your lap? Is this true? And so you need to settle that. You see, we need rhythms of truth week, at, week in and week out. We need heralds of truth because there's an absence of it in every generation. There's an absence of truth in every generation. That's what Paul was, was warning Timothy about. And so we need faithful preaching that proclaims, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord has done. And this is the hope for you and the world. You see, when we think of biblical, faithful Bible preaching, preaching, again, some of us, like we think of this didactic sort of like, man, just talking down. But again, the word for preaching, for Christian preaching is heralding proclaiming, proclaiming good news. It's the truth that comes with power and with grace. Truth and love. You see, sometimes we have itching ears instead of discerning ears. And so we'll only read the books, we'll only read the blogs that make us feel good. We'll only listen to the sermons and the podcasts that we already agree with, that affirm what we already thought. And we'll only consider the verses of the Bible that are easy to swallow. And that is why Paul is giving Timothy a sense of urgency because he knows the human condition to, to tend to want to veer that way. And so Paul gives a sense of urgency for Timothy to be diligent, to be faithful in his work of preaching, because there's going to be a time when people will oppose the message of, of God and bank their lives on the opinions of men. And so it's urgent that you preach now, Paul says. It's urgent that you preach. It's urgent that you preach now, and it's urgent that you preach the word. I want you to notice that this passage isn't just relevant for for preachers and for pastors. It's relevant to church members too, to those who sit 
under preaching week in and week out. You see, we all need to hunger for that word. We all need to come expectantly to hear that word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to pray that God would be faithful to use that word in our hearts so that we can be more and more like him, so we can be more and more molded into the image and life and the character of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.